I have titled the message, God's Way to Peace, because as you read these random scriptures on the back of your bulletin from many parts of scripture, you will see that there is no way in the world that you can walk through life with peace without being at peace with other people. The last verse listed from Colossians 3.13 is powerful. Be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. These scriptures are commandments. Look at the one from Mark 11.25. And whenever you stand and pray, like you did earlier this morning in this service, if you have anything against anybody, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven too may forgive you. It's a commandment. We have no option. We cannot hold grudges. We cannot hold on to resentments and bitterness that sometimes creeps into our lives. We are in Christ new creatures, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. The old things pass away and all things become new. Now, what I have been inspired to tell you this morning at the beginning of this message is that God has given us today the opportunity to start all over again. It's like the poem that somebody wrote years ago, which began with this beautiful verse. I wish that there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never put on again. Well, I have good news for you today. That's exactly what God offers to us when he offers us his peace. When we come to this subject of forgiveness, that's exactly what God is offering, the land of beginning again. It is just like it never happened, just like it never occurred. We start over. It's like being born. Everything is fresh. Everything is new. God does not want any of you to carry out any of the past today any of the failures, any of the mistakes, any of the resentment, any of the bitterness, any of the grudges that is characterized yesterday, he wants you to walk out of here hearing these words, I give you a new beginning. Everything reminds us of that opportunity. This morning was a new day. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 reads, Thy mercies are new every morning. Each day is a new beginning. God reminds us of his plan by giving us the dawn every day. Every Sunday marks a new beginning. We call it the Lord's Day. The day of resurrection. Death is past. Life has come. We can celebrate a new beginning. The seasons of the year and the changes they bring remind us that God allows nature to start over again. The new year, January 1, always brings a new beginning to our lives personally. We have resolutions. 
that we make. God will never make it difficult for a man to start all over again. There are reminders built into his world that say to us, here is a new opportunity. I want you to take advantage of it today. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Jonah, Peter, and a host of other Bible heroes knew what it meant to fall, to fail, and yet to begin again. If we are going to have God's peace, we are going to have to move into this realm to forget the past and walk into the future with new faith and courage. I do not know how old all of you are. I know how old I am. I know how old Harley Allen is. He's 49 today. This is his birthday. Please remind him of that, that he is just one year away from the fatal 50s. Please tell him when you see him, please. It will bless his soul. I know that I'm almost 50, but not 50 yet. Not like my wife. I know that. And I know that because I'm not yet 50, that when I turn 50, I will have 10,958 tomorrows if I live to an age of 80. Isn't that marvelous? Think of that. Life expectancy is increasing. It's almost getting up to the 80s now. And that means that when I hit that wonderful, wonderful mark, on December the 21st, four days before Christmas, I thought you would be writing that down. <laughs> I will have 10,958 tomorrows. How could I grieve by becoming 50 when I have almost 11,000 new days ahead of me? Fabulous. Some of you are 60. And you're just holding on, wondering when the Grim Reaper is going to arrive. <laughs> May I tell you that if you're 60 and life expectancy is 80, you have 7,304 tomorrows. Think of that, and you're moping around, <laughs> waiting to fall. Some of you thought it was over when you got to 40. <laughs> you have 14,608 tomorrow. All of them with the potential of peace and blessing. All of them. If you will just claim it. 
by forgetting. And of course, if you're in that wonderful, wonderful realm of the 70s, think of 10 years. Easy arithmetic will tell you you have 3,650 more tomorrows. And many people are living beyond 80. Think of all of the opportunities to be productive and victorious instead of saying, oh, I'm 60 now, or I'm 70 now. We ought to be jumping up and down saying, just think, I have 3,650 more opportunities. That's what all these verses are saying. That you can walk in peace and you can walk in blessing and productivity if you will. You choose to. At 95 years of age, J.C. Penney said, My eyesight may be getting weaker, but my vision is increasing. He could still see tomorrow at 95. How are you doing? Now, Three simple steps. You've got to forget your failures. You've got to forget your past victories. And then you forgot, you've got to forget what people have said and have done to you. If you're going to have God's peace. That's the simple formula. And I'm not talking to you about something out of a book or something that is in a test tube. I'm talking to you about something that has been proven through centuries of time. Something that God has expressed to us, forgiving those things which are behind. Philippians 3.13, I press toward the mark. Babe Ruth was the sultan of SWAT. He hit 714 home runs. Isn't that wonderful? He struck out 1,330 times. He went back to the dugout almost twice as many times with his bat in his hand and his head hung low than he did trotting around the bases after home runs. He didn't sit in the dugout crying into the towel saying, I'll never go back out there again. He forgot the past and went out to win the game. Stan Musial of the St. Louis Cardinals was a pitcher when he started. Started in Springfield, Missouri. He developed a sore arm early in his career, couldn't pitch. Many people would have said he's done for, but he didn't look back at the sore arm. He just moved out to right field. Stan Musial won the National League batting championship in 1943, 1946, 1948, 1950, 1951, 1952, and 1957. He was the most valuable player in 1943, 1946, and 1948. How? By forgiving the past. Not remembering he had a sore arm and couldn't pitch, but moving on to the tomorrows that God was giving him to become one of the greatest players of all time. It's true in Scripture. Abraham is known as the man of great faith, yet when he was going into Haran in Genesis 12, he lied. He said that Sarah was his sister, when indeed she was his wife. 
He lost his faith momentarily, and yet God lists him in the heroes of faith as the father of the faithful. What about other great men like Moses, the meekest man on earth, lost his temper, killed an Egyptian, buried him in the ground. His life was ended, right? Wrong. He had to forget the past. God's peace came and he became a mighty leader for God. Each of these Bible characters confessed his sin and started over again. Peter was the one who denied the Lord three times. No one more courageous than Peter, and yet he denied his Lord. What would he do? Cash in? Quit? Give up? No! Never! He found peace through forgiveness and moved on to become the great apostle of Pentecost. No wonder the word of God says, forgiving those things which are behind, I press on toward the mark. Are you living in the failures of yesterday? Some of you are living in the victories of the past, and you're just as bad off as those who live in the failures of the past. You know that our victories can make us self-satisfied. The fact that we were saved 49 years ago, or baptized in the Holy Spirit 20 years ago, or whatever we might be able to testify that that is a danger... Or if we ask forgiveness of somebody ten years ago and haven't considered those today that we need to get forgiveness from, you see, our past victories can rise up to haunt us. Our growth will be stymied and we will die. There is a holy dissatisfaction that must control the life of the Christian. Is there anything I need to do business with God today? And if we will have a time of introspection, I think we will always discover more things to learn, more things to do, more things to accomplish for His glory as we deal with the past. Revelation 3.1 pictures it this way. The Holy Spirit wrote unto Sardis, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Isn't that tragic to be alive and yet be dead? That was the case of the church at Sardis. Samson rose up when Delilah said, The enemy or the Philistines be upon thee, not knowing his strength was gone and he was taken prey. His eyes were put out because he did not realize that he could not depend on the victories of yesterday. The past can be the enemy of the present. The good can be the enemy of the better. But if we're going to find God's peace for today and God's peace for our tomorrows, we forget the past and we move on looking at what God has for the tomorrows. Now, I had to say all that to come to this third part of this whole development. We must forget what people have said and have done to us. The Bible is so practical. All of these verses are saying it. And I want you to open your Bible to John 20, for I want to show you something 
from the Gospel of St. John, verses 21 through 23, that God showed me the other day. I had not seen it before. I had not connected what was there before. But it's there and it's beautiful. The Word of God is practical and it will liberate and set us free if we hear it with our hearts. John 20, 21 through 23 Then said Jesus to them again, speaking of his disciples, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Now this is the verse, Whosoever's sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever's sins ye retain, they are retained. I looked that up in the modern language, and it reads, If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Suddenly it became clear. He said, Peace be unto you. Here is how you maintain it. Here is how you preserve it. Here is how you make sure you have it in all of your tomorrows. Forgive the sins of any. Their sins have been forgiven. If you will forgive them their sins. If you retain the sins of any, their sins have been retained. And my peace cannot dwell with you. Our unforgiveness can bind both us and the one we refuse to forgive. You remember the story of Corrie ten Boom when she was preaching all over the world after her release from the prison camp of the Second World War, God's forgiveness and God's grace. She was speaking in Munich, Germany, telling of how God forgave people and His mercy reached every man who would receive it. It was a wonderful meeting, the article said, and at the conclusion, people were coming to shake her hand when she looked and saw a man she recognized as one of the German guards from the prison camp. This guard happened to be one of those who stood at the opening to the shower stalls and watched the women prisoners take their showers daily. Lustful ornery and mean, saying obscenities. She hated him. There was such a hatred in her heart toward that guard and other guards like him that she thought she had dealt with in her spiritual walk. But as she saw this guard approaching her, she knew she had not truly forgiven him. When he reached her, he said, Oh, Fräulein, it is wonderful indeed, isn't it, to have the forgiveness of God and the peace of God. And he extended his hand to shake her hand, and she said, My arm was frozen to my side. I could not move it. I could not shake the hand of this man who had insulted me. When suddenly she said in her heart, 
Corey, what is the matter with you? You have been preaching forgiveness all over the world, and here you are not forgiving this man. You must forgive him in Jesus' name. And she said in her heart as he stood there with his hand extended, Jesus, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for not forgiving him. And when she prayed it, her arm unlocked. And she was able to extend it and clasp his hand and say, yes, brother, God's forgiveness is indeed wonderful. I picked up an article the other day out of Charisma magazine that I read with interest. It was titled, Forgiving Defeats Arthritis. I thought that could fit my subject today. And it was a report from a scientist who had become a Christian. The scientist declared that emotional problems such as guilt and frustration and fear and anger can work on one's physical well-being. He said that when unforgiveness and resentment are harbored, for example, within the heart, chemical reactions take place which can cause crippling diseases such as arthritis and rheumatism. He went on to say that when a person is full of silent resentment, the arthritis settles in the very tips of the fingers. But when the resentment is voiced in criticism and gossip, the middle joints of the fingers are affected. Does that mean someone asks that everyone who has arthritis also has an unforgiving spirit toward others? His answer was not necessarily so, because he believed, as I believe, that the devil can afflict people this way, but we can come for the elders, we can come for the anointing of oil, and the prayer of faith in that arthritis has to yield to the blood and power of Jesus Christ. But his point was that much of our illnesses and of our pains have to do with our spirit. I have seen that. A lady who was hearing this testimony at a banquet interrupted the speaker and said, I've never interrupted anyone before, but I must tell you what has happened to me. As you spoke, she said, I discovered that I had resentment in my heart toward members of my own family and that I was bitter toward them and that whenever I spoke to them in criticism and in anger, I would always point my index finger at them like this. And she said, that finger has swollen with great pain of arthritis. But she said, as you spoke and I discovered it, I asked God to forgive me. And she said, look, my finger is normal. There's no more pain or swelling at all in that finger I am healed. I remembered then Dr. Norman Vincent Peale telling me of the rich Texan whose wife phoned him from Texas to New York saying, will you come and help my husband? He's dying and the doctors don't know what's wrong with him. He reads your books. He would like to talk to you. So he flew in a private jet to Texas, walked into a palatial mansion. He said, I don't know where to begin. Tell me your story. And that man told of early in his career as a businessman when a business partner 
filched him of all of his earnings, ran off with the business, and he said, if I could raise this arm, I would smash him in the face if I could get next to him. You see, he was paralyzed on the right side and literally drying up and dying in a wheelchair. The doctor saying, I can't find anything wrong. Dr. Peel stopped him and said, I think that's your problem. You have allowed hate and bitterness to center itself in the right part of your body, which is the side of authority and power. You hate that man so much that it has frozen parts of your body and it's literally eating the life out of you. And he went on to tell him of Jesus of Nazareth, who was mistreated, who was spit in the face, whose beard was plucked out, a crown of thorns on his head, and nailed to a cross. And from that cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. He said, the man in the seamless robe and the sandal feet walked into that palatial mansion as he told the simple story of Jesus Christ who embodied forgiveness. And Jesus touched that man. He said he saw him two months later at a convention at which he was one of the speakers. That man was running toward him with his right arm waving in the air. And when he got to him, he said, Dr. Peel, I'm well, I'm whole. When I dealt with the unforgiveness and the critical and bitter spirit of my life, I was healed. I'm a new man. I'm a new man. How many of you sit here today being eaten away? by unforgiveness, and you have no peace. You have not peace with God, nor peace with men. Don't die that way. Read these scriptures again. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. There's your model. Just as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. What will you do with it today? We read about Peter's question, Jesus, how oft shall I forgive my brother? He thought he was really doing something great. Lord, I've come up with an answer probably seven times, right? He was so blessed by his own ingenuity and his own forthright evaluation of forgiveness. Seven times, Lord, I'll forgive my brother. And Jesus said, Peter, you're a little short. Try 490 times, and by then you will have lost count, so you have to go back and start over again. Seventy times seven. What is that? It's that land of beginning again where... Like a shabby old coat is dropped at the door, never to be put on again, you let go. And in letting go, you find the healing that you so desperately need. I want to tell you my discovery in closing of three things in this area of forgiveness that are important. Number one is that most often this kind of cleansing and healing happens in a communal setting, very rarely on an individual alone basis. 
The Holy Spirit seems to deal with crowds in this matter of forgiving one another because it seems to deal with crowds. It deals with our relationship one with another. I've rarely seen it happen in an individual sitting alone. It usually happens like this, where we are gathered together with people and we realize that we have not been exactly as Christian as we should have been. We've not been as kind as we should have been. We have spoken words that have cut and injured. We have harbored feet that are robbing us of life and in this setting the Holy Spirit comes in like a wave and he moves upon our hearts like the old song there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains this is a time of plunging for the multitude today in a communal gathering of this kind, the Spirit of God makes that real. And we find God's peace by forgiving and forgetting and putting behind us all that we've tried to hold on to. I have secondly discovered in this matter of God's forgiveness that the total peace does not come all at once. And I must tell you this because some of you may be destroyed after leaving this service if you feel the Holy Spirit moving upon you in that communal sense, but when you're out from the sound of the organ and the pastor's voice and the atmosphere of this place, you don't feel as peaceful as you thought you should. Just remember this. You did not harbor all of those resentments and all of that bitterness at one time. You did not take it in all in one sitting. It came over a period of weeks, months, and most of the time years. And there may be things you have to do in order for God's total peace to fill your heart. You may have to write a letter first and get the answer back. You may have to go pick up the telephone and get somebody's voice on the other end of the line. You may have to write out a check and pay an old bill. You may have to go to an employer and say, forgive me, I've said things about you that I should not have said. You may have to go to someone somewhere and make that thing right as well as come to God and make it right. And the peace will not come until over a period of days or weeks or months you work on that thing and finally you are into the daylight. But remember, morning follows night. There's never a morning that comes without night having preceded it. Hallelujah. And God will bring you into the light. Just be patient. Just remember that God is working. And it's going to happen. Even though you may not feel totally at peace at this moment, it's going to develop and it will arrive. I guarantee you. But you've got to start today. And that's the third thing. You've got to start now. You can't put it off for another week. You can't put it off for another month. You cannot any longer say, I refuse to deal with this. You must deal with it now. You must forgive or you will not be forgiven. Did you hear the other side of Jesus' statement in John 20? If you refuse to forgive, then that withholds forgiveness from the other party. The other party cannot be free. The other party cannot enjoy the peace and the blessing of God. If you remain unwilling 
yourself to remit. Oh, that God would help us today to let a healing flow leave this place, to touch homes, to touch people all around us that we know because we have arrived at that point where we are willing to say, Jesus, I want your peace. Jesus, I want that legacy in my life. And therefore, I am willing to forgive even as I am forgiven. I am willing to let go, Jesus. And I do it now. And as I see it, there begins a flow of blessing that no demon from hell can stop. It builds and builds and builds. And it becomes a river of blessing and a river of opportunity. From Hebrews 10, 17 is this final verse. And their iniquities and sins will I remember no more. That's what God wants. He wants to forget. But so often we won't let him because we're not willing to forget and we're not willing to let go. You have come into the house of God today. You have heard the word of the Lord today. I'm asking you to put down your 50-pound pack that you've been carrying around. I ask you to let go of that strap that's been upon you, keeping you back from the good things that God has in store for you. Forgiveness is putting the pack down. Forgiveness is letting loose of that strap, having no hindrances. Forgiveness is entering into the peace of God on a daily basis so that you enjoy all of those tomorrows, 10,000 of them, 7,000 of them, 3,000 of them, who knows how many, but you will enjoy every one of them and you'll be healthy and you'll be victorious because you will have what God has promised, the peace of God that passes all human understanding. It's possible to come to this altar for the prayer of the elders a hundred times and not be healed if you refuse to deal with the unforgiveness in your spirit. God is wanting to give you, many of you, physical healings as well as spiritual healings as you lay at the altar that spirit of resentment and hate and bitterness that the devil loves to plant in our heart. To keep us from enjoying the peace of God. This is God's way to peace. Will you travel that road with me today? Will you deal with this thing that so few seem to want to deal with in our world today? Deal with it. Come to the cross with it. And find the liberating effect that only Jesus can give. Do it with me as we bow our heads in prayer, please, all over the sanctuary. And I want to, while you bow your heads here, speak a word to those who are listening by tape or by radio. Wherever you are, driving down the road in your car, listening on a mission field somewhere, I'm speaking to you now if you have resentment and bitterness and you're an unforgiving person, you've got to deal with this too where you are. Tears may be streaming down your cheeks right now as God brings to your mind things you need to deal with. In the name of Jesus, deal with them today.
And now to those of you in this sanctuary before I pray, how many of you will say, Pastor, I feel the moving of God's Spirit in my heart. I know of what you speak. I bring this to Jesus Christ today. I'm going to leave it with him. I'm going to forget the past. I'm going to forget what people have said and what people have done to me. I'm going to enter that land of beginning again. And I'm going to do it now in Jesus' name. Will you raise your hand? It will be a raise of victory, if you will. Raise it up in the balcony, on the main floor. Hold it there as I look across the audience. Yes, scores of hands are going up. In the name of Jesus, I give you His peace. His peace! As you have determined in your heart, you're going to deal with this thing. Now, Lord God... My Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of your Son, Jesus, the living Christ, that these friends who raised their hands will now feel the overwhelming effect of the Spirit's work. Bathe them in your love and forgiveness. May they be willing to go to whoever they need to go to and extend a hand and say, I forgive you, please forgive me. And may they have, as a result, God's wonderful peace. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I feel your heavenly dove settling down now in this place, and I thank you for it. Heal. Not only heal inwardly, but heal outwardly, Lord, ailments in bodies that have been affected by unforgiveness. Do it now, Jesus. I'm depending on you. Glory to your name. As we just pause in your presence, I believe you're healing and you're helping. You're releasing the chains that have bound us for so long. We're going to go to that father, that mother, that child, that friend, whoever, that associate that we need to go to. We're going to ask forgiveness. We are going to forgive even as we are so graciously forgiven by you. Thank you, dear Lord.